0: When I was a kid, my favorite set of toys to play with were my 20 matchbox cars that I had. So I would take my 20 matchbox cars, put them in a box, and I would go outside. And we had a nice little side yard with a retaining wall. And I would, it's a good thing my dad's not here, I would dig up and make little roads out of the grass and dirt, so I'd have dirt roads and I'd have my whole town thing set up. And I loved doing that outside. Um, when summer came, I would get on my bicycle and I would bicycle all over town. I would bicycle in the countryside. Shh, don't tell my mom. She never, I never told her. Are you at, staying in town, Mark? Yes, mom. And so I would ride all over Blackford County to be outside. And I remember being in band in high school. You know, I loved concert band, but I love the fact that marching band was outside. And so... I didn't think a thing about it, and when I became a young adult and an adult, the only time I was outside was when I had to be. And I was in a men's accountability group in the 1990s, because back in the 1990s, as we all did accountability groups, and there was a fellow who kept prompting me, uh, "Max, you need to, uh, you need to get outside. You need to go take a hike." And and uh, I I found all kinds of reasons and excuses why I couldn't do that, but. But the thing of the matter was, um, I was stuck. So I was trying to read my Bible. I was trying to read my Bible and it wasn't really working. I was trying to do my quiet time in the morning the way my mentors at Wheaton College had, had modeled for me. Get up in early early. I would get up at 4:30, you know, get up early before the sun comes up, read your Bible by yourself, pray by yourself, journal by yourself and encounter God by yourself in the morning before you go off to work and it'll make you better for other people and I was stuck If you're like me, chances are you've gotten stuck more than once in trying to connect with God. Um, Stuck, not going anywhere, languishing, stuck, what worked in the past doesn't seem to be working anymore, stuck in your relationships, and maybe you feel frustrated and maybe you feel a little condemned, and there are a couple of reasons that this happens, in America. The first is Americans love self improvement. We are the nation of fix ourselves. And so we try to make Christianity into this self improvement thing. And it doesn't work. You're saved by? Grace. Oh, which means you should live by? Grace. Ah, right. That's not something you can do. The thing is, when you get your identity, your new identity in Jesus Christ, behavior flows from identity. And you find that you're keeping the commandments, not because you have to, not because you've been on this program, you know, to self-improve and, you know, not be a liar anymore. It's because behavior flows from identity. God's transforming you from the inside out. There are habits that are part of that. But the other reason that we end up in this debacle is because in America, we think that one size fits all. And so we tell all these church-going Americans, come to church, that's good, read your Bible, that's good, but but have a devotional time and do that in the morning. Read your Bible by yourself. Remember that thing I just told you? Pray by yourself, (laughs) journal by yourself. And so we have a one size fits all approach to a devotional life or a way to connect with God, a part that's connected but not connected to the church, right? And so people get frustrated because one size doesn't fit all. It'd be like a doctor having every patient come in, no matter what was wrong with them, take two Tylenol and get some rest. But doc, my appendix is about to burst, I think. Take two Tylenol and get some rest. Come in with a broken arm. Come in with Ebola. Take two Tylenol and get some rest. It's not going to work. How many of you parents, right? It would be like treating every single one of your children the same, as if every single one of your children are the same. Come on, that's... (laughs) Your children are not the same, are they? No, they're not. Um... It would be like going into Target or JCPenney or Macy's or wherever you buy your clothes and they're having be, they're just being one size. One size for a 6 foot 4 270 pound fella and for a 4 foot 9 98 pound, you know, lady. One size does not fit all. So God doesn't expect you to do exactly what your pastor does your sister does or your neighbor does part of what flourishing means is discovering who you are discovering how god made you to be part of flourishing is staying connected to god so how many of you have ever tried to have it, have a devotional and found that you failed at having a devotional anyone ever try and fail my hands up okay good so see you're not alone <laughs> you're not alone in this room okay One size doesn't fit all, and so I want to peer into the life of a man, a young man, who was wise enough to know that one size does not fit all, wise enough to know himself, wise enough to know that the pathways to God uh, are diverse, right? And so I want to peer into the life of David, the shepherd. In and I want you to flourish. So in, in 1 Samuel 17 that Charlotte just read for us, the Philistines mustered their army in the Valley of Elah. So the Israelites are up one side of the mountain and their warriors are ready and the Philistines are up the other side of the mountain. And every day, every day, fee, fi, fo, fum, I'm Goliath, here I come. Right, he comes out and he taunts the Israelites. Uh, that's verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. I'm a Philistine, you're servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. And what does the scripture say? The Israelites were terrified. It's a big guy with a big javelin and a big sword, and a big suit of armor. And he's threatening, and he's intimidating. David's primary role in this encounter is he's a go-between. He's going back and forth between home, where he's a shepherd, and then on the battlefield, where he's bringing provisions to his brothers. And then he's kind of getting a lay of the land, and then he's going back home to tell dad and the family what's shaken out at the battlefield in the Valley of Elah. Right And so David, when he shows up, he sees the battlefield completely differently than everyone else. He sees it differently than his king, King Saul does. He sees it differently than the Israelites see it. And he sees it differently than Goliath sees it. Uh, Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? David knows that God can do anything. And we get a glimpse of that in the previous chapter when Samuel is anointing David and God has this conversation with Samuel the prophet and says, hey, people like to judge a book by its cover. They shouldn't because the contents don't always add up to what the cover is. I, God, I look at the heart. I look on the inside. I see things differently than people tend to see them, right? And so David is just living out this different way of seeing things that's like his heavenly father. And so he sees that God is capable and he sees things from God's perspective. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that every Sunday I pray that God would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and understanding in our hearts. And that takes us to 1 Samuel 17, verses, what, 31 to 40. David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win, you're a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats and when a lion or a bear comes and steals a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. And I've done this to both lions and bears. I'll do this to this pagan Philistine too because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul consented, okay, but but Saul Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took off all of the armor and then he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in a shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Saul gives David his armor because it's worked for Saul That's what you do when you go into the battle. You have your big sword. You have your chain of armor. You have your shield. I mean, it's what you do, right? And it doesn't work for David. What tremendous courage for a young man or a teenager to stand up to his king and say, no, these won't work. This isn't me. These don't fit. And he sets them aside. Now, David isn't careless. He's actually careful. He knows himself, he knows his strengths, and he has a plan in mind, five smooth stones. I ought to be able to sink one of those in that guy's head. Like, I just need a good, clear shot. So he's not careless. Saul, by the way, remember, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in Israel. So Saul's like a 52 long. He's a man, he's a warrior. David's like a 36 short, (laughs) lanky teenager, and a young lad. They couldn't be more different. John Ortberg says this. He says, the greatest battle of our lives is a spiritual one. So why would we try to fight it using weapons that have helped someone else in battle? Let me read that again. The greatest battle of our lives is a spiritual one. So why would we try to fight it using weapons that have helped someone else in battle why wouldn't we use what god has put in our hands so in light of david's approach i want to articulate a question that everybody should ask what brings me life what do you do that makes you come fully alive i want to talk about Mike Lesage for a moment i remember the day that we did a kid stuff at an elementary school here in jessamine county mike came on stage in his haw ho- on his hog vroom, vroom. he ate up every moment of that and the kids loved it grandpa spike a few years ago because they were getting older and you know things you should do when you're getting older they sold their bikes but mike realized that he wasn't getting a dose of anything that was making him come fully alive so guess what they did they bought a new set of bikes. That's why they have two vehicles in their caravan now. There's the trailer and then there's the little minibus that pulls the toys, AKA the bikes. As Mike told me, Senor Max, as long as I can get up, I'm gonna ride. To which I say, go for it, (laughs) go for it Mike, okay? Many of you have heard about or know about my lake days. I call them my planning days. I'll load a boat onto the church truck. I'll drive an hour and a half to a lake and I'll spend the day there. Some people mistakenly think that's my day off. That's fine. Um, I find that the hour and a half to get there, uh, something happens. Because I actually like you and love you and care about you, I often am shouldering the weight of the things that are in your lives, right? Because I'm taking that to God, I'm interceding for you. And I find that in the hour and a half drive, that weight is lifted. And then when I get there, because I'm a doer and I like doing things, there's the 45-minute paddle to get to a spot, so I'm active, right? But then once I'm there in a spot, I'm, I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm listening to God, I'm chewing on things in my mind. Uh, one day, a few years ago, I knocked out 14 sermons in a single sitting in one day, right? And so there's something about that that makes me come alive, that makes me more connected to God. Now, what do you do that makes you come fully alive? You need to know this about you. Is it reading a book? Is it watching an inspiring movie? Is it taking coffee with friends? Is it being alone? <laughs> Is it listening to music? Taking a long drive in the car? Tending a garden? Playing basketball or soccer? I have a friend who her kids are all grown and gone. She, she's an empty nester, but her kids stress her out like nobody's business because she's very organized, and her kids are, woo And, and she, their kids stress her out, and so she gardens. And then during the winter, she's got these pots in her kitchen and tends these plants and herbs. And while she's knitting the dirt and doing this thing, she's processing these relationships and talking to God about them. She's in the flow of the Spirit. So it's not the activity that's important. It's that you're in the flow of the Spirit while you're in this activity, while you're doing this thing, whatever it is, right? The activity isn't important. It's doing it in the flow of God's Spirit. So I have a few suggestions, and this is from Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Pathways. Uh, he maps out nine different temperaments, nine different ways that people can have a pathway to connect with God. He says, they're the naturalists. Ding, your pastor's one of those, big shocker. These are the people who they're outside and they're like, God is amazing. God is everywhere. I feel connected to God. You know, just put them outside. They're good to go. Then there are the sensates. These are the people that, love, that worship through experiences like art or sound or smells and bells, right? There are the traditionalists. They connect to God primarily through ritual and symbol. They love things that are repetitive, liturgy, doing the same thing over and over again. Then there are the ascetics. They love the solitude and simplicity, they can go uh, on a mountaintop and be by themselves and um, and they're there, they encounter God. There's the activists, one of my daughters is an activist, right? The way she connects to God is making the world right. Dad, this is wrong, we have to fix it today. And I'm like, Dad is busy, can we fix it tomorrow? No, this cannot wait. God is grieved over this. I'm grieved over this conversation, okay? <laughs> They're the caregivers. The caregivers, they love God by serving others and giving of themselves. They're the ones quick to lend a hand and help. They're the enthusiasts. These are the people that it's outward displays of passion and enthusiasm. They love God with gusto, and everyone in the room knows it. They're the contemplatives. They love God through uh, attentiveness, deep love, intimacy. They have an active prayer life often. And then there's the intellectuals. My uh, partner in crime on Fridays here at Generations, Mitch, this is, he knows every book, every theological thought, and it opens him up to God. And often when we're working on the weekly, we're talking Augustine or something like that, right? Because that's how his primary pathway, By the way, you're going to get an email later today with some links that takes you to a site where you can take an assessment uh, and, and explore these a little bit further. But I want to make a couple of caveats. One is you're usually not just one of these. You're usually a mix. Keep that in mind. And then you're going to find that things change over time. The way a husband and a wife love each other when they're married 30 years looks a little different than when they were at year one. Things change, okay? And temperaments can change, okay? So in light of this, I want to ask you to do a couple of things. It's been a rough go in the last couple of years. Some of you may identify with the whole, okay, stuck, mm, I'm there. Maybe this would be a season to try something new. There's a whole thing of pathways and ways that you can encounter God and connect with him try something new if you had something in the past two or three years ago that really really worked and it just went to the wind because of everything that went on maybe you should pick that up again maybe you should try picking that up again but two things be intentional schedule time for it whatever it is put it in your calendar, make a commitment, be intentional about it. If you go, if you adopt the mindset of, well, it'll happen. No, it won't happen because you have an unseen enemy that wants you to languish and not flourish. And then secondly, devise a plan. Jesus' life was filled with practices that he did habitually. Jesus often withdrew in solitude. He often hung out with friends he often had spiritual conversations with people where he was asking, who do you think God is? What do you think God is up to you? How do you read this scripture, okay? The Apostle Paul says something significant in Ephesians. He says, we are God's masterpiece. And he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When God made you, he had something good in mind. So you need to figure out what that is. And we can partner with you to help you in that. But there are many different pathways and ways to encounter God. And I just want to say today, one size does not fit all. So if you've ever beat yourself up because the one size that's been talked about the most in church hasn't worked for you, set it aside. Try something else, right? I'm going to ask our musicians to come up. And I want to pray for us. And these are a couple of new songs. So you probably don't know these songs. But where you are, you can encounter God. You can talk to him. There's some things going on in your life. This would be a good moment to do that.